White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. That baby will go! Lance Lynn with an absolute gem. So welcome into White Sox Weekly. It is December 11th, and we've got a lot to talk about on the show. The lockout continues. Yes, the players and the owners are still at odds about how exactly we're going to get back to the business of baseball in 2022. But right now, here in 2021, there's a couple of things kicking around. Some good news for former White Sox, some uh, improvements by last year's team and a couple other news and notes we'll get to throughout the show. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. This show, like always, is yours. You want to talk socks. You want to talk baseball. We're here for you. 312-332-3776. You can find us on Twitter as well. At C1 McKnight is uh, the personal Twitter handle. Uh, you can find all of the information about our White Sox broadcasts and programming and all that kind of fun stuff at ESPN White Sox. You want to make sure you follow that Twitter handle too because during the season, once we get things kicked back up, all the ways you can get interact with Len and DJ during the game you know stuff like the twitter poll question and getting questions in to len and dj that kind of thing that they answer during the broadcast that whole thing at espn white Sox. that's the place to do that um let's see oh you can watch us on twitch hi hello how are you espn 1000 chicago that's the twitch handle that you gotta follow uh good to see many of you in the twitch room this morning i was filling in for waddle uh filling in for sylvie with waddle this last week in the oh the twitch room is a wonderful place it's a beautiful beautiful place to be uh and i'm sorry y'all had to look at me for like three straight days that was hmm, not how i would have had you do it but that's that's what it was tyler Aki's our producer on the outside of the glass hi tyler good morning good morning connor hey so you and i have a have a brand new feature on white Sox weekly to announce and debut this morning i'm very excited about this i might be overly excited about this no you're, you're properly excited thank you I think. you're okay. properly excited. thank you i appreciate it you're gonna hear a lot more from tyler on shows to come and that's because we want to hear from you tyler's gonna be your voice we've got an email account that's right it's like 1994 here on white Sox weekly we've got an email account what we'd like to do, I mean, listen, the lockout is the lockout. We get it, right, Tyler? I mean, this is, there's going to be a little bit less news this offseason or at least in the next couple of months than there would be otherwise. The free agent signings of major league players has to stop. Big moves have to stop, that kind of thing. Although the White Sox did make a player transaction just about a half an hour ago. I'll tell you about that in a second. But we've got an email account. What we'd love for you to do is... And we'll, we'll, we'll tweet it out, you know, all that kind of stuff. We'll let you know where you can find it in case you forget it. If you're driving around this morning, you know, taking the kids to church or whatever it is, Connor at ESPNshy.com. That's the email address for us. That gets routed to me and Tyler and Ryan, or at least it's going to. And your emails will come in and we'll read them on the show. We'll do mailbag shows every now and again. I think this is a good idea. You know, you're going to have things pop up. I get it. A lot of you listen to uh, listen to us here on White Sox Weekly on the podcast, and you should. The ESPN Chicago app is wonderful. It's beautiful. You download it, and the station just plays. But our podcasts are up there, too. 
And since Saturday mornings, especially during the holiday times, maybe you're driving around, all that kind of stuff, you might digest the show a little bit later on. We thought we'd give you kind of this like permanent place to touch base with the show and with White Sox fans, with me and Tyler and Len and DJ for that matter. Shoot us an email, Connor at ESPNshy.com. You want to talk socks? Leave your questions there. Really kind of ask us anything and we'll get through it. Tyler's yeah, this gonna is read- an AMA. It really is. Yeah. This is this is open letters kind of stuff. This is write your love letters to baseball. Uh, write your manifestos to whatever. I mean, you got poems? Give us poems. We like poems. Haikus less so, but that's only because of a brevity thing. You know, I'm just Agreed, reading. Yeah. You know, five seven. I always five. forget the the syllables. I was never great at counting syllables either. You, you clap with it, right? Like Minnie Minoso is in the Hall of Fame, right? That's that's the congratulations yeah. to Minnie Minoso, by the way. The Golden Era Ballots, hit us with emails. We, we would love for you to do it. We're very excited to debut the new segment. You're going to hear Tyler read your emails, uh, and what a lovely voice that's going to read your email. Minnie Minoso's a Hall of Famer. Yay! Play the celebration sounds. I mean, this is the Golden Era Hall of Fame class of 2022. The Golden Days era is announced. It is official. Minnie Minoso received 14 votes from the 16-member Golden Days Era Committee. He and Jim Cott, Gil Hodges, Tony Oliva, all elected. Congratulations to all of them on what is truly a lifetime achievement. Um, I, I don't want to make the backhanded comment about how this could have happened earlier for a lot of these players, but unfortunately, it is the case. And I think especially in Minnie's situation, this is a player who is clearly deserving of the Hall of Fame. And a guy, I, I'm, I didn't have the chance to meet Minnie. Uh, I know a lot of people around the White Sox obviously have. He was a, a fixture at, at what was then, you know, obviously ballpark names past, but at Guaranteed Rate Field and the ballpark before. For, for years and years and years, you could find him there hanging out. The guy's love of the game was absolutely infectious. It was uh, kind of a storied career for him, obviously, and not just the stuff where, yes, he played in 1951, of course, and then all the way up until 1980 where he came back with the White Sox after having come back in 1976, you know, playing in all of those different decades. This is not just a guy who, you know, especially if you're a younger baseball fan like me or, or you know, maybe even a little bit younger than that, and Tyler, you, you might hear of the, you know, kind of the, the goofy stuff about Minnie. Minnie was a hell of a player, an absolute dynamo. MVP finishes, top five finishes in both 1953 and 1954, finished eighth in 1957, and another top five finish in 1960. Scott Merkin of MLB.com wrote up a real nice kind of um, kind of article after Minnie had been elected. Nine-time All-Star, the first black Cuban to suit up for the White Sox um, in May 1st. 1951 at Comiskey Park, finished second in the 51 American League Rookie of the Year Award voting, three-time Gold Glove Award winner in left. Minoso led the American League in triples and stolen bases three times each, finished the career with 2,110 hits and a 299 batting average. We lost many on March 1st, 2015. Uh, Bob Kendrick, who is the president and docent of the Negro League Baseball Museum in Kansas City. I've, I've had the privilege of talking to Bob on a couple of different broadcasts, and I think we'll have him on pretty soon here on White Sox Weekly. He is one of my favorite people to talk baseball with ever 
period, end of story. And if you've ever had the chance to to talk with Bob about baseball, the Negro Leagues specifically, or just have heard him interviewed, you get what I'm talking about. Bob is, I mean, luminary doesn't even come close to describe the way he works through the baseball layers uh, of, of existence. Uh, but Bob was quoted in this piece by Scott Merkin talking about many. It's only fitting, Bob said, that he takes his proper place in the National Baseball Hall of Fame because to me, he exemplifies everything a Hall of Famer is supposed to be both on and off the field. I just imagine all the things Minnie did without his family being there or here with him, and he never had a problem, said former White Sox pitcher Jose Contreras. Uh, he was good on and off the field. He fought through all the obstacles put in front of him. He did great, a real hero. And truly, what I, what I find so interesting, and I, I know White Sox fans know this, what, what's so cool about Minnie Minoso now being in the Hall of Fame and, and scheduled for induction uh, this summer, I believe it's July 24th, there is there are through lines, right? I just read you the quote from Jose Contreras, and and obviously Minnie's presence in the Negro League Hall of Fame is a, is a huge one. But now you know the White Sox have a a long storied and successful connection to Cuban players, dating all the way back to Minnie Minosa and his home run against the Yankees, May first, nineteen fifty one. I I find that I mean that is. That is truly 70 years of history, all starting with one guy, one player, one Hall of Famer. So congratulations to him and the family. Uh, it'll be a great day to remember that career and what he meant, what he has meant to the White Sox continues to mean to Major League Baseball. Uh, really thrilled. There, there were um, a few more, obviously. Gil Hodges, I mentioned, Jim Cott, Minoso, Tony Oliva. Bud Fowler and Buck O'Neill were chosen by the early baseball era committee. Uh, that voting took place, all of it, just about a week and a half ago. Uh, they're going to be inducted July 24th, as I've mentioned. Caught a former White Sox himself, obviously much you know more known for his career elsewhere, like you know Minnesota for the most part. But from 73 until 75, Jim did throw for the White Sox. He was a trade in 1973. He was part of the, I'll give you a moment if you're listening, and kind of a, you know, an older White Sox fan, maybe just really into your history. Any, any remember? Any, any remember? 1973, Mike Buskey to the Phillies for Alan Bannister, Dick Ruffin, and Roy Thomas. That was how the White Sox uh, traded him away to the Phillies, but he was a waiver claim off the Twins. August 15th, 1973. Different era of baseball, obviously. You know, being able to take guys like that off of waivers, stuff like that. You don't see that all that often. Although the White Sox did make somewhat of a similar move, grabbing Alex Rios a couple of years ago. Um, that was a, a waiver move, too. So, Hall of Famers. New new Hall of Famers all over the place. Uh, and some fun news there. Still waiting on Dick Allen and... Uh, and, and Billy Pierce to get into the Hall of Fame. Hopefully those days are coming and, and soon. Uh, we talked to Bob Pierce, the son of Billy Pierce, on a show not too long ago. What do you say, Tyler? About three weeks ago for that show? That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah about three, three weeks, weeks ago. Less than a month, more than two weeks. So that puts it at three. You can download that podcast and hear that interview. It, w- it was a good one. And just kind of you know remembering the stories of, of Billy Pierce are always fun. Uh, and Bob and I did a lot of that on the show about three weeks ago. You can give the gift of White Sox baseball with a holiday pack. Starting at 79 bucks. you can get six ticket vouchers to 56 different home games 
during the 2022 regular season, along with an exclusive White Sox hat and scarf set. Visit whitesox.com slash holiday packs to purchase yours today. Uh, mentioned earlier as we were starting the show that there was news of a White Sox player transaction just about uh, about a half an hour before we started the show today. This is from uh, MLBTradeRumors.com, and it comes to them from the Twitter handle of MILB Transactions, Minor League Transactions. Remember, just because major league players and ownership are in a lockout right now, those transactions can't occur. Transactions between minor league players can it's not necessarily a loophole, but kind of is. If you're in the minor leagues, you are not technically part of the union. That's just for active major league players. So minor league players, even if you have been in the big leagues before in most cases, are still able to be swapped between teams or signed as minor league free agents or are eligible for the minor league rule five draft, which we get to in a second. But former big leaguer Brandon Finnegan, has been signed by the White Sox to a minor league contract. So reports MILB Transactions on Twitter. Uh, and it's a pretty reliable thing. I, I wouldn't be bringing it up on the show if it weren't. Um, I'll just read a little bit of the blurb. You, Brandon Finnegan, you might be the uh, Royals. Came up with the Royals. Uh, here's the, the blurb on it. Hasn't been in the majors since 2018. Finnegan is 28 years old. He debuted with the Royals at the age of 21. He came up in the, I I, want to say it was the year he got drafted, 2014. Um, Yeah, he was. He was drafted in the 2014 June amateur draft out of TCU and made his debut in the bullpen for the Royals when they won the pennant in 2014. Made seven appearances out of the pen during their playoff run. He was traded to Cincinnati as part of the uh, Johnny Cueto deal that next deal, that next year, pardon, uh, and worked in the rotation for the Reds, 31 starts, 172 innings with a 398 ERA, uh, good for a two, 2.1 wins above replacement, and just nine starts over the next two years. Some injuries, bit of a smaller dude, 5'11", 216, I guess, you know, just in height, he's you know, a little stockier, that kind of thing, could bring it. A little bit of a funky windup, but that's part of the stuff that might change. Uh, this last season, Finnegan went back to being a reliever, spent the entire year with the Reds' AAA team in Louisville. He threw 55 and a third with a 5.53 ERA, did not get called up last season. Like I said, he hasn't worked in the majors since 2018, but this is a first round guy. That kind of talent, that kind of profile. He's picked in the first round in 2014. Uh, out of TCU, like I said. So I, you know, this is, you, you don't get a whole lot of transactions here during a lockout. We're, we're a little bit restricted to what the, the White Sox can and can't pick up. But you talk about grabbing first round talent and handing it to Ethan Katz. The White Sox could use a couple more, you know, left handed options. He throws lefty uh, out of the bullpen, perhaps in 2022. Absolutely the kind of guy that you snag and stash if you can. Brandon Finnegan. Hopefully you can rework some of the mechanics, rework, uh, maybe, maybe identify a breaking ball that he wants to throw more often. I mean, to me, Finnegan fits a little bit of the profile that Kendall Graveman kind of did. You know, a starter who was 
you know, Graveman obviously had a lot more success in the major leagues than Finnegan, who hadn't pitched in the big since 2018. Um, but this is a guy who's got premier stuff and looks like he had pretty good velocity, you know, mid-90s kind of stuff, um, that you might just be able to bump back into a high-leverage kind of arm, especially throwing left. I mean, my goodness. You stick around as a lefty in this league, you could do it for a while. I mean, you could make entire careers out of this whole thing, just throwing lefty and having one good pitch to trick a big power-hitting left-handed swinger. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. Tyler, time to slide one in here before the break. All right, let's do it. We'll break some rules. Head out to the phone lines now. It's your show, after all, in Evanston. It's John. John, you're on White Sox Weekly. Yeah, hey, guys. Um, Thanks for taking the call. You got it, man. Um, the question I have is, I remember the last lockout that that happened or, you know, whatever went down. Um, a lot of the big-name free agents that are now stuck on, on hold for a while, uh, I'm, I'm wondering if are, are they probably going to sign like a one- or two-year deal for something and then go free agent and try to make the money then that they're not going to be able to make now because of this? So, John, I, I don't think it was a player strike, 94, 95. And I, yeah. I don't think that earnings are going to be pulled back um, by future free agents, by the guys who are going to sign after the lockout is over. I, I get what you're saying. Like, guys may have to sign shorter term deals in order to get back onto a team and kind of have to take what they get. But I, I think the other factor at play there is going to be each one of the teams each one of these 30 teams that hasn't signed the players it needs is going to be in a rush to sign players that matter. And that should, at least I think, keep prices to a a, a reasonable level for players, assuming we don't have massive changes in the CBA in in terms of, you you know, know, collective bargaining tax and minor threat or uh, um, uh, floor level salaries. The thing that, that, that I'm wondering about is those, those players that are just stuck on making their money, they're going to be when when the when the camps do open, they're going to be sitting at home because teams just aren't going to make that kind of deal coming out of this thing. They're going to want to get to camp and get things going, and so those guys that that you know think they deserve the major market deal now. Um, some of them are probably going to be in limbo for a while, wouldn't you think? I I, I don't, actually. I, I think we're going to be able to avoid that. And, John, appreciate the phone call, man. Uh, and, and understand the concern, right? I mean, the last thing anybody wants is this big scramble. I mean, I'm talking about front offices or players and players' agents and, and fans, too. I, I mean, I get where John's coming from. This idea that we're going to be in this last minute, my goodness, what are we doing kind of scramble sort of thing to sign players. I, I think because of the little bit of free agency that, that teams were able to bite into before the lockout, there's a real good understanding of what's left in terms of team needs, uh, free agent desires, you know, in terms of contract and length and all that kind of stuff. We got started on this whole book of free agency already. So I think diving back into it, teams are it sounds like teams are going to be willing to take the ball that was already in motion and, and run with it, so to speak. 312-332-3776. Appreciate the phone call, John. You want to hop in on White Sox Weekly? You can. You can also upgrade your game day experience in 2022. The Guaranteed Rate Club includes in-seat service, parking, and unlimited food and beverage. 
Ticket packages start at 20 games, include flexible payment plans and 2022 postseason opportunities. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesocks.com. We've come up to the first break of the morning. When we come back, we'll talk about one of the best young White Sox on the roster and how he got even better in 2021. A little bit about Luis Robert when we come back on White Sox Weekly. It's ESPN 1000. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. Listen to Chicago's home for sports on the ESPN Chicago app, 100.3 HD2, and ESPN 1000. Now, on the home of the White Sox, here's Connor McKnight. Projection with an 11-game hit streak, longest of his career, and he just hits a towering blast to left. Way out of here. Oh, did that sound good. 2 nothing pitch. Swing and a fly ball. Deep left. Half at the fence. It's gone! Robert with a two-homer day, and it's 12-1. to The voice of Len Casper, always good to hear on a December Saturday morning, calling some shots from Luis Robert. He ranked in the 99th percentile in max exit velocity in 2021. If you're not real familiar with the nerd stats, that means he hit the ball real damn hard. It was a lot of fun to watch Luis Robert play. It was, uh, quite, quite frankly, devastating to watch him get hurt. The strained hip flexor was a big moment at guaranteed rate field last year. I, I remember the... I don't know how else to put it, a hush that went over the crowd after he you know, ran down to first base and kind of collapsed after hitting the bag. I wasn't exactly sure what had gone wrong. It did not look good at the time. There was a lot of hope that it wasn't as bad as it turned out to be, and it, and it did turn out to be rough. His rebound after coming back from injury was remarkable. And I bring it up because uh, Fangraphs, Luke Hooper, writes for Fangraphs, wrote up just a little bit of a piece called A Closer Look at Luis Roberts' post-injury breakout. And since we're, you know, sitting here in the lockout and trying to dive into, you know, take deep dives into even little things here, I, I found this really interesting, and I think a lot of White Sox fans will as well. One of the things that I think you can count on for the White Sox in 2022 is the continued improvement of a couple of big young stars. That's Aloy Jimenez. That's Luis Robert for sure. That's Yohan Moncada. You know, and a couple of others. You don't, you know the names, but Robert's that guy. I mean, really, truly uh, that guy that might just be the next best player in baseball. I'm not saying it wouldn't be work to get him to that place, right? I mean, there's still that Juan Soto fellow and that Mike Trout guy and Bryce Harper just won an MVP. Listen, there are a lot of good players all around this league, but Robert has skills on every side of the game. That five-tool player that Frank Thomas calls a six-tool player. What I found most interesting is that when, and you look back through this uh, this, this Hooper piece on fan graphs, he kind of goes back to 2020 a little bit. Luis Robert had the worst swinging strikeout percentage in baseball at 22.1% and a 32.2% strikeout rate. His O swing rate, that's swinging at crap outside the strike zone, 43.1%, fourth worst in baseball. And when he did make contact, had a below average exit velocity of 87.9. Obviously, White Sox fans will remember that there were kind of two 2020 Luis Roberts, kind of that first six weeks, kind of a middling two weeks, and then that rough last six weeks or so. 
in 2021, it started out with a whole bunch of contact and not a lot of power, but he was making a lot of contact. What I find really interesting what this Hooper piece points out is that when Robert came back from his injury, he looked like and performed like a bit of a different guy. The, you should go through and look at – let's tweet the link, Tyler, at ESPN White Sox is the Twitter handle. We're going to tweet the link to this this piece uh, by Hooper on Fangraphs. It's interesting. The stance opened up a good deal for Luis Robert, which we all noticed some, and DJ made a point of it. But the biggest areas where Robert improved was his ability to hit fastballs. That was the worst pitch type for his success up until coming back from the injuries. He was striking out or or swinging and missing at like 17% of the fastballs he sees. That is well above league norms. But he crushed fastballs after coming back from injury and crushed them for power as well. That kind of improvement, especially from Luis Robert, is exactly what you wanted to see from Robert in the 2021 season, injury aside, I mean, if he was healthy, that's the kind of thing you wanted to see. I guess I just kind of bring it up to point out how impressive Robert's season was when you consider especially the injury he came back from. But as I talked about, if he'd have just made these improvements over the last over last season without being injured, he'd have gone, my goodness. What an achievement for Robert. What a, a kind of a realization of the kind of talent and, and raw tool that he is into a real smart, aggressive, selectively aggressive baseball player. Uh, the sky might just be the limit for Luis Robert. And I thought this piece on fan graphs was a good illustration of exactly that. You can secure your spot next season by look, locking in a 20-game ticket plan. Take advantage of the best prices, flexible payment plans, and 2022 postseason priority. Don't miss a second of the action. For more information, visit WhiteSox.com or call 312-674-1000. We've got a player exchange coming up in just a minute. Chuck Garfine, the pre- and post-game host on television, joins me. On White Sox Weekly next, we'll talk about some free agent additions. We'll talk to Chuck about his, you know, his kind of his career a little bit too. We get to do that in the off season. Chuck's next. It's White Sox Weekly on ESPN One Thousand. We are talking White Sox. This is White Sox Weekly. If you miss the show, we put the podcast up on the ESPN Chicago app. So listen on your time. White Sox Weekly, ESPN One Thousand. Chicago's home for sports. Secure your spot next season by locking in a 20-game ticket plan. You get to take advantage of the best prices, flexible payment plans, and 2022 postseason priority. Don't miss a second of the action. For more information, visit WhiteSox.com or call 312-674-1000. You never know if you're at the ballpark, you may run into this man, Chuck Garfine. He is the envy of many. He has a friendship with Southpaw, which I'm particularly jealous of. Chuck, great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for hopping on. How you been, man? Uh, I'm great. Just hanging out with Southpaw in the offseason, you know, waiting for the lockout to end. 
So I'm uh, <laughs> doing great. It's great to be on your, uh, the show with you, by the way. Kyle. Great to have you. Uh, you can find Chuck literally everywhere on your television sets, and the White Sox Talk podcast is one of my absolute favorites. I'm only halfway through the last episode where you and Vinny Duber and Guff were doing the deep dive into second base. Uh, that's scheduled for about two weeks for us here on White Sox Weekly. But that's just kind of lockout life, I think. I guess... When you take a look at where the White Sox got to as we hit the big pause button for this lockout and what's left to do, do you are are you grading this offseason yet or is everything for you on hold as well? Yeah, I mean there's not much to grade. I mean there is stuff to grade, but it's only the beginning and yeah, it's a pause, so I'm not really judging anything yet. I like the Kendall Graveman signing. Uh I like that they got Larry Garcia back in the same role that, you know, he was uh, supposed to do last year. Unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, they had to play so much of Larry Garcia because of all the injuries. He's like the security blanket for the team. So that was, it's great to have him just in case something goes haywire with injuries. And that's what happened last year. Uh, But second base is a chasm right now. And when we did this podcast, you know, it was all about, we literally, I, I took Vinny Duber's idea, which he wrote an article for NBCSportsChicago.com, where he looked at every single solitary second base situation in the major leagues to see if there's a trading partner with the White Sox and what's out there. And I was just like thinking, oh, there's Gene Segura, maybe there's Jeff McNeil, and it kind of ends there. You do a deep dive, and there's like, I would say, between eight and ten trade possibilities for the White Sox. Some of these players are singles and doubles home runs like what if the Yankees after the lockout get a shortstop what does that mean for Glaber Torres yeah. all of a sudden this is available because you know they would if you could move him over to second base then there's DJ LeMayhew Gio Yoshello is over there so that's a possibility uh even a guy like Nick Solak is a possibility I mean this is not a home run trade but an Abraville North <laughs> grad uh he'd be fine for second base this team does not need to beat I would love to have had Marcus Simeon as their second baseman but if someone who's great defensively or someone who puts the ball in play in this offense, that would be fine too. But what I found by doing that podcast, and you're going to, you know, you'll do a show about it too. If you do look, look into it, there are more options that will meet the eye for the White Sox in second base. And that was promising for me. What level of priority is second base right now for the White Well, I shouldn't say right now because obviously, you know, lockout. But when we come back, what level is it? You know, there's there's kind of like, you know, there's right field. There's innings, right? The White Sox still need to acquire probably something like 100 innings, uh, whether that's all out of the bullpen or some in the rotation or whatever. Um, right field, second base, a backup catcher. What level is second base in, in your mind, Chuck? Um, what level is it? It really depends on what they decide to do with right field and DH with Gavin Sheets and with Andrew Vaughn and how that all works into the equation. I, I can't really rank it. Um, mm. There's a hole in sa- at second base. There's seemingly a hole in right field, depending on how they want to handle that, DH and starting pitching and bullpen help. I mean, this the White Sox offseason, if it was uh, you put it in the oven, it still is cooking. Yeah. There's more cooking to do. So it's and the, and the fact that it's a, it's not just a yeah it's a pause but I mean it's a stop like we are it's stop like turn off the oven and there's still stuff that needs to cook so I don't uh, I, it's tough for me to rank them but 
you know, there are, there are ways for this team to continue to improve and that leaves me and there's players out there that can make them better. A lot, a lot of, a lot of free agents out there and obviously trade possibilities. And Rick Hahn was saying that what was going on, usually the trade market kind of heats up uh, before the free agent market does, but it, it got reversed because of the lockout. There wasn't much trade talk going on before the lockout. It was free agents, you know, as we saw, it was a free, free agent bonanza. So um, I, who knows when the lockout is going to end, and we can talk about that. But when it does pick up, I mean, it's going to be a frenzy, a frenzy for free agency and trades for sure. Chuck, you get to travel in some pretty elite company. Uh, caught the podcast you did uh, around Ozzie Guillen and his interviews in San Diego, uh, his very brief dalliance with the Mets. Probably a good idea on his part. Uh, but I... I found it interesting, especially talking about Ozzy, and you know him fairly well. As a young White Sox reporter, this is 10 years ago, I remember Ozzy being in the dugout and kind of offhandedly saying, Mark Burley's going to be in the Hall of Fame. And people mm-hmm. lost it. And then he made his case. He talked about how many wins players had going into the Hall of Fame, where Mark Burley ranks and everything else. And like everything Ozzy does, like maybe it sounds crazy at the get-go, but he's got a, he's got a well-reasoned logic behind it. What's it been for you working with Ozzie Guillen over the last little bit? Tell us a little bit about, about his search um, for that manager's job and just kind of life with Ozzie. Well, I can tell you this, that we were doing the, uh, one of the playoff shows. Um, so the White Sox are in the playoffs, and Ozzie says Manny, to me, Manny Machado is trying to get in touch with me. I don't know why he's trying to get in touch with me. And now he's known Manny Machado for a long, long time. Uh, his kids are friends with him. Uh, it turns out uh, Manny Machado was interested in Ozzie Guillen being the manager of the Padres. Huh. And, uh, you know, I, I, I can't say if Manny Machado was like, that was his number one pick, but like, he was like, hey, would you be interested? He like reached out to Ozzie. He's like, hey, we, we're looking for a manager. And, you know, in talking to Ozzie, before this news broke, I thought he was a perfect fit for the Padres, and I really thought it was going to happen. I really thought it was going to happen. And uh, selfishly, I wanted him to stay with NBC for me and our network and White Sox fans, but also for him, I'd be ecstatic for him to be back in the dugout, and that Padres job seemed like a great fit for him. They needed someone like him. They needed a, a veteran manager like a a presence which he could provide he clearly has the know-how to manage um but then out of nowhere bob melvin just showed up and so uh that was a surprise to me i'm sure to ozzy and everybody they i mean they didn't know who else were the candidates like publicly but uh so it's uh you know i'm 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 thankful that he's gonna be he loves working nbc uh, and, you know, he was in a no-lose situation where he either continues to work with us or he manages with the Padres. But, you know, it's, it's, I love the man and love working with him. He is a, uh, he's a genius, a baseball genius, and uh, knows so much. Like just watching a game, I feel like, you know, you, Connor, you and I, we watch a lot of baseball, mm. and things will happen on the field, and I'll have a pretty, pretty good idea of the decision that a manager made or a decision or a thing that happened in the game. And I'm like, yeah, I think I've got a good grasp of what's going on here. And then he'll 
come in and say something that I had not even thought about. He's playing chess, and I'm like, oh, I just I'm playing checkers apparently. Um, so he's got a mind, a quick, quick mind that very few people have, and um, it's great that I get to uh, share that with everybody on television, NBC Sports Chicago, because he is uh, one of a kind. Let's talk about you just a little bit here, Chuck. I mean, it's it's lockout season, so we get to talk about uh, I, I talk about us, I suppose. I think I just did the math. Something like eighty-five percent of Chicago media that covers the White Sox are Homewood Flossmore graduates. You're one of them. <laughs> like, tell me this, because I I know you grew up rooting for this team. You grew up a Sox fan, and that is such a cool thing. Kind of about life and covering this game. If you'd have told, if I could go back and tell senior year Chuck Garfine, you're getting ready to walk across the stage, the tassel's going from left to right or whichever direction it goes when you graduate, that he was going to cover the White Sox for a good long while and be one of the uh, one of the most popular voices that covers this team. What would senior year Chuck Garfine have said? How would he have felt? Wouldn't believed it. Would think that I won the lottery, the life lottery, that I would be able to do this. For a living, I still pinch myself. I still cannot believe it that I get to do this. Uh, and my friends, you know, like I was, I was literally out. It's funny you say that. I was literally out last night for dinner with five friends of mine from Homewood Flossmore. They're not in the business or anything like that, but they're five friends of mine. And, you know, like they, they knew me. They knew me when I was in high school and working at our high school radio station at Homewood Flossmore. And they saw that I was doing sports and stuff like that. And, you know, to see that I've been able to do this for a career is just uh, I do pinch myself. I'm so fortunate and lucky. I don't I don't take any of it for granted. Um, and then, you know, Jason Benetti went to home at Flossmore. Scott Merkin did. Lawrence Holmes. I mean, we got a, we got a we call it the HF Mafia. And so uh, we it's I still can't believe it. But, yeah, I grew up a Sox fan. Uh, somewhere there's a photo. There's a lot of photos of me at Old Comiskey Park wearing White Sox gear uh, mowing the lawn at our house with the White Sox shirt. I got to find these things. I should probably put it on social media. You I should get a kick out of it. I got to find them. You know, and so the, the White Sox are in my DNA. I came to here. I uh, came to. We were Comcast Sports Center at the time in 2004. In the fall of 2004, we went on the air, and you know, I was not like gung ho White Sox guy at the time. I just wanted to cover Chicago sports. I didn't care. And they found out that I was a White Sox fan growing up, so I started covering the White Sox. My first year was 2005, covering the White Sox, and they won the World Series. It was a uh, an incredible start. Uh, and so, and here we are, all these years later. So, I, I mean, it's in my DNA. It's in my blood. I get it. I know what White Sox fans, you know, feel with the wins and the losses. And I mean, I try to be an objective reporter as much as I can. But, you know, the uh, the passion is there. It's never going to go away, and uh, I'm just honored I get to do it. It's it's a really cool thing to be able to cover a team that's where the White Sox are at. I think regardless of, of you know, our individual roots, I just think back to, you know, you you and I and, and Guff were all in the, uh, what would you call it, in the kind of waiting area underneath the stadium in Game 3, right? And it was, what was it, like the eighth inning we were all down there? You can't see anything. We're all trying to load the, you know, the pitch by pitch on MLB, on the MLB app on our phones because there's no TV down there. We're just, all we could do was hear the ballpark, right? You could just feel, I mean, it was, it was almost percussive at times. That's, that kind of thing is infectious. And as cheesy as it gets, you know, you, 
this is the, the this is why we do this sentence. It's that kind of thing that that I think you and I, I speak for you when I say like that's the kind of thing I think we hope to bring to White Sox fans for a lot more years to come. Yeah, and I'll say you're talking about Game Three, like the wild card. Or, oh, that wild card, the blackout game yeah. against the Astros. Yes, <clears throat> that was um, one of the best um, baseball games I've attended in my life. Yeah, and. For me personally, like when I was, I was just so lucky to be able to cover games one and two of the World Series. But back then, um, there was so much media there. I was watching the game basically on television <laughs> in an auxiliary press box, so I didn't really get to feel the crowd, feel the game like the people that were there. So I don't even put games one and two from my own personal standpoint of the World Series at the tippy top because I was basically watching on television. I get it. But but for that blackout game that just happened, I mean, that might be number one. That literally might be number one for me just from a, without, that one game. I mean, there is the the first blackout game, but that was a one nothing game that had like, it was a great experience, but it had like three good plays in it, great plays in it. It was a Tommy home run. It was a... Uh, the catch by uh, Brian Anderson, the throw by Ken Griffey Jr., and that was it. There was a lot that happened in that Astros game. Um, and so, uh, you know, so to, I'm kind of answering your question, but kind of not. Uh, but that is our role. We are the bridge, so to speak, and lucky to be the bridge to take, you know, between what, we're, what is going on with the team and the fans. And, um, you know, I do not uh, take that responsibility lightly. I'm always thinking about what is the best thing to give White Sox fans um, right here, right now, today that I can think of. And I'm always thinking about that with the job. Because as much as I love what I do, and I love it, it's a job, and that, that's that's a big part of my job. I think I think White Sox fans feel it and see it every time they watch you and hear you. Chuck, they're lucky to have you. Appreciate you hopping on the show, man. Let's talk soon. Uh, I've got an idea for you to come on the podcast, so I'll, I'll, I'll reach out to you. Here for I got you. an idea for us. Here for yes. you. You got the number. I would love to have you on. Anytime. <laughs> okay. See awesome. you, Chuck. All right, see ya. Chuck Garfine, your pre- and post-game host on the television side for Comcast, uh, NBC Sports in Chicago. It used to be Comcast Sportsnet when I was interning there when Chuck started, uh, but that's long ago. Sox fans, you can get the latest team gear to rep all season long. At the Chicago Sports Depot, be sure to follow the at White Sox store on Instagram. It's at White Sox. That's the handle on Instagram for series sales and more. Uh, the Sox hoodie that I'm wearing this morning that I threw on this morning on the way out the door. You can get that there. It's a good one for store hours and information. Visit WhiteSox.com slash Depot. Uh, we'll wrap things up with a look back at one of the other most improved White Sox, Dylan Cease. It's White Sox Weekly and ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports. On app. The ESPN Chicago app. In HD. 100.3 HD2. And of course on AM. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. 2-2 two, two, the count on Alex Bregman. Defense straight up. The pitch. Swing and a miss. Strike three. Some good high gas at 100. Does the trick for Dylan Sees. Runners will take off. Schwarber and Bogarts with two outs and the 3-2 coming. Swing and a miss. Strike three. How about that inning? 
strikeout, walk, walk, strikeout, strikeout, and Dylan Cease has 200 punchouts here in 2021. Dylan Cease got himself onto the top 10 single season strikeout list for his 2021 season. Uh, only six guys, well, seven seasons, I guess, six guys have struck out more hitters. Then Dylan Cease did in 2021, wearing a White Sox uniform. It's White Sox Weekly, of course, here on ESPN 1000. Uh, we got a scoot soon. The hockey show's coming up in a bit. But I, I saw this um, out about uh, Dylan Cease and a bunch of other pitchers who saw their strikeout rates really jump from 2020 to 2021. Obviously, 2020 was not the season Cease wanted, and I think White Sox fans saw it. It was just kind of this year where you, you, could, see the, you could see the shape of what you wanted Dylan Cease to be, about how you wanted him to make that next step, but it never quite got there. Well, it did in 2021. Um, he had the biggest jump, minimum 75 innings pitched, from strikeout percentages from last year, 2020, to this year. It improved the swinging strike rate on his stuff, improved 5.3%. That's more than anybody who threw 75 innings. The little write-up, and I'll tweet this piece out as well, at C1 McKnight is the Twitter handle. The biggest piece of impact was it wasn't the curveball or the slider for season. It wasn't the stuff he was getting guys to swing and miss and look foolish on. Instead, it was a better fastball that helped make the curve and the slider more effective. His fastball, even though it was down just a little bit in velocity, which could have something to do with more than doubling his career inning total last season, uh, had more ride on it. Means it stayed up in the zone a little bit more. The rise was up 18% more than average compared to 2020. Really good stuff from Cease. And that, the reason I bring it up, these are the kind of rates and stats and velocity numbers and all these kind of nerd things that I, I, I monitor over and over again. These are the kind of things that stick, that last, that speak to continued improvement for seasons to come. So uh, hopefully you look for Dylan Cease to even go higher in his 2022 season. You can entertain your group in the CIBC Fan Box, the only luxury suite on the main concourse. Enjoy new customizable food and beverage options in 2022. Visit WhiteSox.com or call 312-674-1000 for more information. Big thank you to Chuck Garfine and Tyler Aki. Don't forget the mailbag is new. Connor at ESPNShy.com. Get your messages in and we'll read them on the show. The boys are next. David Amber of TSN is their guest on the hockey show at 1030. I'm Connor. Have a great Saturday. It's ESPN 1000.